Um, well, I have the honor to introduce our speaker today, Pat Bray. We have, he has been faithfully leading us in worship how many years? 20 plus years faithfully leading our congregation in worship. So that, that deserves. Oh, no. Oh, I have more. I have more. <laughs> um, he is truly. Uh, Renaissance man, so many different facets to Pat leading worship. Last night, he's grilling up steaks for all the guys, and it was awesome. And, and business businessman, an amazing father and husband and friend, and he's, he's so many different facets to Pat. Um, I, and I mean this as a compliment, I truly do. But Aaron and I have shared this, that Pat is, he's like a, a dog that you love. And I mean this, and this is a compliment. What do we love about a great dog? Faithful, loyal, very happy to see you. He's always happy to, like when, when you see Pat, he's very excited to see you. And when you're with your dog, full attention, your dog is giving you complete full attention. You are the only person in the room. And I think that's Pat. I think that's a compliment that when he's talking to you, you're the only person in the room. And he's happy to see you, and he's faithful, and he's loyal. And I'm looking forward to what he has to share. Thank you. Thank you. Can you hear me? What kind of dog? Don't, don't answer that. Pitbull. Pitbull. Dotson. Well, it's truly an honor to be here, it's, and it's a great feeling to know that church is already done. So this is just gravy. This is just free. Um, and uh, Curtis, uh, thank you for, for what you said about grace and mercy, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. And it was um, just beautifully teed up, and I'll pay you the 20 later for that. But... Um, it is an honor to be here. I'm just making sure all my stuff is here. Master's updates there. Uh, wait. Uh, little housekeeping. I don't want to know any results, so if any results do come in, just try to keep a lid on it. Um, but no, it is, it is an honor to uh, be here, and um, you know, when, when you prepare for this type of thing, you know, you prepare your heart, you go out and research and read and just ask that, that the Lord fills you. And these last um, three, four weeks have been remarkable. Um, for Lent, I gave up something and, and what I added was just really seeking the Lord. And uh, it, He has just been faithful. And, um, you know, to me, going forward, it's just, it, it's the idea of having the discipline, and then asking the Lord to just fill you with, with His Spirit. So uh, that, that has just been awesome for the last uh, three, four weeks. And um, I have a little PowerPoint. So for those of you that are taking notes, <laughs> um, there will be some stuff up here, and of course we will publish that. Um, and so, you know, hold on on the first one. Just to make sure that you guys know how relevant I am, I want to use a device, a, a uh, visual device, because I don't know about you guys, but the way everyone texts nowadays, if someone asks a question or says something, we don't go, yeah, awesome, or okay. We send a GIF. We send a meme, right? And so 
it's crazy because all you can do is just type in awesome, but you'll go over to Giphy and search for the best meme possible and then send that. So, so just to show that I'm relevant, um, that is, okay, that's one of two responses I want to get from, from this talk today. It's like, huh, okay. I'm hoping that, that that's not it. I'm hoping it's more this next one, which, hold on. Um, Kelly Sidabaka was kind enough to send me a quick video gif of Cooper in a staff meeting at his high school. And this is what the gif was. <laughs> yeah. So you can, you can turn it off. Thank you. So, um, so that, that meme right there is, uh, if you look it up, it's under head explosion or mind blown. And so that's what I'm looking for here this morning. So thanks, Coop. Um, anyway, well, let, let me uh, pray. Well, Lord, we just invite you here this morning. God, we thank you that your presence is already here. We thank you that we get to step into the slipstream of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we just pray that um, what goes forth this morning would line up with your will, with uh, what it is that you want us to hear from you, God. And, and I pray, Lord, that it's not about delivery or me or anything, but, Lord, that you have a point you want to make here this morning. You want to have a word that will come forth and that will take root in our uh, hearts, minds, and souls this morning. So we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we will be talking this morning um, about mercy and grace. And... I don't know how long ago it was, Kevin, where you talked about the prodigal son, and it's, it was, I don't know if it was a throwaway line or, or what, but you said, mercy brought him home and grace threw, threw him a party. And uh, was that a throwaway line, or is that like you actually thought about it? <laughs> but it was, it's a profound statement, and I, I got to thinking, um, we often confuse grace and mercy. It's, it's used in so many similar ways, and, you know, if you... Look at our English language. Um, we're talk I was talking with CM the other day about this. Our English language is kind of limiting because we have the word head. And head can mean a head. It can mean the head of a spear. It can mean a, a, a head of, uh, uh, like if you go to the bathroom, that's the head. Um, a head can mean a bunch of different things. And, and when we translate from the, from the Greek, from the Aramaic, from Hebrew, it all gets put into this Bible as, as a particular word. And oftentimes it confuses grace and mercy. And so my, my goal today was as I researched this, as I looked deeper into the distinction between mercy and grace, is, is to discover the jewel behind mercy that, that leads to grace. And so what I want to say today and what I want to leave you with um, is this, that mercy is the servant to grace's glory. And uh, so, what is mercy and, and what is grace? And Curtis, you actually touched on this a little bit earlier. So mercy, uh, and you've heard this probably in different forms before, but mercy is God not punishing us as our sins deserve. Grace is God blessing us, despite the fact that we do not deserve it. Let me put this up here. Uh, mercy is deliverance from judgment. There we go. And grace is extending kindness to the unworthy. So again, mercy, punishing us for our sins. Um, uh, sorry, uh, not punishing us for our sins. Grace, God blessing 
Mercy, deliverance from judgment, grace, extending kindness to, to the unworthy. So what I like to do, you know, when I think of partnerships, because um, I, I believe that, you know, mercy is a partner to grace, is I want to think of uh, partnerships out there. So I think of great tandems or partnerships over the years. I think of the wonderful partnership of Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute. Um, you know, Dwight is a faithful servant, um, you know, even though he's really known as the assistant to the, the manager, not the assistant manager. Sonny and Cher, uh, I feel like Sonny does all the hard work. Uh, Cher was out there getting all the glory. Um, that's an older reference to some of the older folks get that. <laughs> I got something for everybody. Um, Han, Han and Chewy, you know? <laughs> Um, it's another older one, Gary. Uh, <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel. So Paul Simon had the great solo career. Garfunkel was there, but he was just providing good harmonies, good songwriting, but Simon got all the credit. Uh, Penn and Teller. Who knows Penn and Teller? Teller's the guy that doesn't ever talk. So he's, he's out there doing his tricks, not getting any credit, and Penn's the guy getting all the glory. Um, Bill Gates and, and Paul Allen. Who's heard of Paul Allen? Hardly anybody. Well, right? Everyone's heard of Bill Gates, right? But Paul Allen was the guy at the beginning who ended up leaving the company in 1980. He still had about a 25% stake. It still got him about 30 billion, 25 billion. Um, but he's one of those guys. He was in on, on the ground floor. He, was, uh, he helped make it happen, but Bill got all the glory. Another one that, that kind of stands out is Brady and Belichick. Do you have any New England fans? Here? No, that's, that's, that's good. <laughs> and we're going to touch on that a little bit later. Um, but anyway, to understand the distinctions of mercy and grace is to appreciate their, their roles. Um, so again, Kevin, when you said that uh, uh, mercy brought the prodigal son home and grace, grace threw him a party, I, I really was wrapping my, my, my head around that. And um, the son, the, the prodigal son, was effectively relegated to, to, to poverty. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. Uh, so there's a little bit more to come on that story. Uh, I also think of, and we have um, fleshed out the Les, Les Mis uh, scene with the, with the candlesticks. And I, I see that Mercy said that those were his pieces of silver. And Grace gave him the candlesticks. Okay? So Mercy freed him from, from going to jail. And then the grace came in with, with the candlesticks. And that's, that's that, that blessing, if we look at that last one, extending kindness, extending blessing. And so we understand mercy and grace in that same context. So be, before we get simple, we'll have to get a little complicated. Words in all the languages, as I said, we're talking about head. They can refer to a leader, a bathroom, um, um, bathroom on a ship, a froth on a beer. You want to have a good one-inch head. Um, it's very important. You get a lot more flavor. The hops really come through. Um, but they, you know, they, it, it, again, it has different meanings. Uh, grace in, in the Old Testament, grace uh, is, the, is the translation of the Hebrew uh, chine, C-H-E-Y-N, um, meaning favor. Two good examples are, but Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord, um, Genesis 6-8. And God is supposed to be proud, but gives grace 
and favor to the humble, Proverbs 3.34. In these sorts of passages, chain refers to God or people being favorably disposed uh, to, to do good things for someone. So favor is, is the essence of, of that word of grace in, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, uh, grace is the translation of the Greek word charis, which Kevin touched on in, in the past couple of weeks. The basic sense of charis is a gift or the generosity that inspires that, that, that gift. So when Paul says, for by grace you are saved through faith, in Ephesians 2.8, we can say that it is by God's sheer generosity that we receive this gift of salvation. Amen? Now, mercy. Mercy in, in the Old Testament and in the Gospels. Mercy, mercy translates the Hebrew kesed. See, I mean, you have all these words that are specific for what the author, for the context of, of what they're trying to do. Her, uh, um, Hebrew kesed and the Greek elios and oikthermos um, in, in the New Testament. Mercy like compassion is when we see someone in need and we, we respond with both pity and action. I think that really nails it for me in terms of understanding mercy is when you see it in, in light of compassion, um, that really kind of uh, clar clarifies it. Um, when we see someone in need and we respond with both pity and action, the blind man of Jericho cried out to Jesus for mercy because he was in great need, Luke 18. The, the Samaritan described as merciful was described as merciful because he helped the injured traveler, uh, Luke 10. Giving to the poor is an act of mercy in Matthew uh, 6. When Jesus blessed the merciful, he was talking about people who respond with pity and action to those in need. In Paul's letters, um, Paul usually uses mercy in, in, in the, pretty much the, the same way as the Old Testament and, and the Gospels. The same way, um, but sometimes he uses the word mercy to, to describe God's forgiveness for our sins. In Romans 11 and 1 Timothy, uh, this is closely related to, to the meaning of mercy in, in the rest of the word. If we see the hungry, showing mercy means feeding them. But for us, when, when God sees us as, as sinners, showing mercy means providing forgiveness. So what's the simple answer to, to the question? Grace and mercy are not totally different. Both attributes are at work when God saves us. It is mercy because God sees our desperate need and acts out of pity towards us. It is grace because he gives salvation generously as, as a gift. And this is where the distinction starts to take shape. And I'm going to get to why we want to understand this. This is not just a download on, on word uh, understanding. Focusing on mercy for now. Mercy is the servant to, to grace's glory. Remember, Peter says that according to God's great mercy, we are born again. So if we can bring up oh, 1 Peter 1.3. Great. All right. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'll read it out of the message too. Uh, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I, I like to read the message. It gives it in a little bit of a more modern uh, touch. What a God we have how, and how fortunate we are to have him this father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and, 
and, and have everything to, to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. So here's the thing. Born again, along with all the other wonderful things we have to receive in verses in, in this uh, passage are examples of grace. So where's, where's the mercy? Because he, he said in, in, in the beginning, um, who according to his great mercy. So where's the mercy? Well, he tells us, Peter tells us that all of these things happen through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like a servant, mercy tends to reside in the corner, out of sight, quietly doing the work that allows grace to, to be glory. That was part of why I was talking about some of those partnerships. Peter focuses here on the resurrection, but it is a resurrection from the dead, and those are the three key words. Can we bring up the next slide? Oh, there we go. Um, that's the real key here, is from the dead. That's where, where we find mercy. We, 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 we deserved what? Death. On the cross, God withheld from us the punishment that we so duly deserved. He bore our iniquities, and that, my, my friends, is mercy. Yes, the, the resurrection you know, gets a lot of the credit and, and is glorious. Uh, grace is glorious. The salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, will, will be glorious. But all of that is held up by the mercy that led God to transfer our sin to the Son. And so no doubt we will continue to speak of grace um, as, as we do. Uh, but I was pleased to know that mercy was, was getting its due in, in the Word. It does appear about 99 times. Grace, maybe about 102. So they're kind of on a similar playing field. Um, but we will definitely uh, speak about grace uh, because mercy, after all, um, doesn't really want the spotlight. Good Friday always gives way to Easter Sunday. Amen. But we may never forget that there is no grace apart from mercy. Mercy does the heavy lifting, the blocking and, and tackling. Brady gets the credit, but Coach Belichick and his genius does the stuff behind the scenes and out of the spotlight. I have a note in here that Noah might disagree with that, but it's true. Because <laughs> he, he says that Brady's the goat, no matter what. <laughs> so why is this important? Why, why are we talking about this? I know you didn't come here for a linguistics class. And, you, and, I, and I know you came here for the good worship. Um, <laughs> but we are understanding the nature of God. And uh, two, we are realizing that you can't go to grace with, without mercy. What good are the blessings if you don't realize how dead you are and in need of, of a saving grace? You were supposed to get this over here, death, and, and he spared you. And now he's going to lavish you. 1 John 3.1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Ephesians 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. If we don't understand or appreciate God's mercy, we risk resorting to what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. 
And that's not a new concept. We, we've heard about cheap grace. You know, that's something that, that, that we can readily see. One of the most quoted uh, verses or passages in the, uh, in the book, Cost of Discipleship, deals with the distinction which Bonhoeffer makes between cheap and costly grace. According to Bonhoeffer, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. And I'll pause there for a second. We're doing a little series in our home group on koinonia, uh, and it has been a really uh, awesome subject, an awesome uh, series that we're going through Understanding the, uh, the benefit of koinonia, understanding the benefit of community, uh, being able to, to be, be accountable to, to each other, to be able to truth tell. Um, because you know, what um, Garrett Gustafson, who wrote this little booklet, was saying was that you're going to remain a baby in Christ, a, a spiritual baby, unless you re- release yourself to you know, truth telling and being, being, being held accountable by people who love you. And... Um, so part of cheap grace would be, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want people to know what's, what's really going on. Um, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. So that's, that's cheap grace. And uh, I know that we've, we've sensed that. We've seen that somewhat in, in our culture, in, in, in our church, in church, you know, big, uh, capital C. Um, in this book, Eternity is Now in Session. Anybody recognize this? Okay, Good. We got it for Christmas this last year, and uh, it's a great book. It's a quick read. It's, um, it, won't, it won't be like East of Eden or Plato, um, which we are doing right now, but it's, it's a really great read, and he actually touches on that in, in here too, uh, and I'll, I'll read some passages a little bit later, but um, John, John Ortberg uh, talks about Bonhoeffer as he refers to cheap grace, the gospel of the minimum entrance requirement. Okay, um, that word has been kind of uh, popping up lately because our, our oldest son is, you know, looking at, at schools and colleges and different people are looking at that and they all have a minimum entrance re- re- requirement. And that's the thing that we want to, we don't want to just be at the minimum entrance. We want to be at absolute max that we possibly can do. So um, the upshot of it all is that my only duty as a Christian, if this is my, you know, view, is to leave the world for an hour or so on a Sunday morning and go to church to be assured that my sins are forgiven. I need no longer try to follow Christ. For for cheap grace, the bitterest foe of discipleship, which true discipleship must loathe and detest, has freed me from that. So you, you, you do your thing Monday to Saturday, come in here for an hour and leave. And you, there's, 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 there's no life. Cheap, cheap grace, Bonhoeffer says, is to hear the gospel. Um, wow, time flies. Uh, is to hear the gospel preached as follows. Of course you have sinned, but now everything is, is, is forgiven. So you can stay as you are and enjoy the consolations of forgiveness. The consolations of forgiveness. That's like losing in the semis and playing for third place. Who wants to do that? You don't even get a set of steak knives with that. (laughs) Um, 
The main defect of such a proclamation is that it contains no, no demand for di discipleship. In contrast to, to cheap grace, costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of, of for forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that, that is the gift. So then... So this, then, is, 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 is the key question. Do we see ourselves? Um, first of all, how do we see ourselves? Okay? As we self-examine, do we see ourselves as, as being in dis distress? That is, as even being in, in, in need of mercy. Because that's going to dictate our, our view on, on everything else, grace. Because these characteristics of God are often mentioned together, mercy and grace, it may seem difficult to distinguish them. Yet the characteristic of mercy, and this is key, is often emphasized where people are in misery or distress. David says in 2 Samuel 24, I'm in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. He recognizes he's at the end of his rope. The two blind men who wished Jesus, uh, who wished, the two blind men who wished Jesus to see their plight and heal them, heal them, cry, have mercy on us, son of David out of Matthew 9. When Paul speaks of the fact that God comforts us in affliction, he calls God the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3. In time of need, we draw near to God's throne so that we might receive both mercy and grace. Hebrews 4, 16. We are to imitate God's mercy in our conduct toward others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain Mercy. So to understand and comprehend mercy is to appreciate grace with an unending gratitude. Not to mention the benefit of having life and life that is abundant, whether you're in abundance or in, or in the desert, from a song that we used to sing. Um, as C.S. Lewis, for you, Mike, uh, true hu humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. So, you know, you can take what I just said as, well, you know, do I think I'm in misery? Do I think, you know, less of, of, of who I am? No, that's faux humility. This is what we're talking about here. It's just think of ourselves less and, and to really just orient ourselves to, toward God. Um, we can spend a lot of time thinking less of ourselves, but we usually end up thinking a lot about ourselves. Um, the Bible-believing Christian knows that he is a sinner, that in himself dwells no good thing, and that in himself he has no merit with God. Yet, like a paradox, at the same time, he also knows, as a creation of God, uh, he's created in God's image and redeemed by his grace. He has value and purpose in life. Amen. Amen. So, I was driving around uh, this past week, or maybe I was on a run and I had, had the phones in, and I had the, the song, Goodness of God, come on, and then we, we sang it with Suze a couple days ago, and it's just been resonating in, in my spirit, and, uh, you know, I just couldn't help but, you know, in, in the context of reading this and saying, Pat, you know, I refer, I refer to myself in the third person. <laughs> um, I, I'm so in need of a sinner. I'm so um, broken, and, you know, I am nothing. Uh, apart from, from you, Jesus. And as I'm, uh, you know, 
as I'm listening to this song, thinking of he's been so faithful. He's been so faithful. Uh, and, and he's running after you. So he's faithful, and, and the grace is coming in. So when the father of, this, of the prodigal son saw his son at the distance, you know, out in the distance, he had already given him half of his deal. Remember, he's the younger son. He knows he's, you know, he's not the, the firstborn. Um, but so he cashed it in and went and blew it all. So the, the prodigal's father runs after him when he sees his returning. Out of Luke 15, so he got up and came to his father. This is the son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's, that's the Lord. That's his goodness running after us. Verse 22, quickly, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a, a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, like he's part of us again. And bring the fattened calf. That's the, good, that's the good calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. We are dead. And he has come to life again. We have been brought to life again. He was lost and he has been found. And they began to celebrate. So I have some other stuff um, that's been paid for. I have some other stuff that's free, as I've heard. But we're getting towards the end here. And what the, the, the main crux I, I want to say here in context of, of Palm Sunday is this. Um, we've gone through a season in the last well, a, a, a time in the last several weeks, months, where we've gone to funerals and people have, have been honored. And uh, you know, we hear the stories of, of, uh, lost, of losses of, of loved ones. We see slideshows. And their life is laid bare for us to see. And, you know, you can tell if, if a person was sowing into the kingdom. You can tell if it was a person who apprehended mercy and grace and dedicated his life to, to Christ. And I was at one yesterday, and the son of the father um, that, that passed away did a wonderful job honoring him. And he ended off with an acronym, JOY. And this is what I wanted to kind of leave you guys with, in addition to uh, one, one other thing. It says joy. And it stands for Jesus, others, and you. If we can always get that order correct, I think, you know, that is understanding the, the apprehension, the foundation of mercy and, and, and grace. Lastly, as we approach Palm Sunday here, the beauty about this all is that on that Palm Sunday when Jesus was traveling on that path. And again, I was trying to, trying to understand it in the context of modern society with social media and everything. Word traveled not quite as fast back then. So there were a lot of people that, that didn't know. But I mean, can you imagine if Jesus was around? It would have been a week. A week over those three years uh, for people to really you know, have their, their, their point of view about him. But a lot of people just had rumors. And, you know, but, but once they met him, um, you know, some were changed. But when, when Jesus, when he came to, to, in view of the city, he wept. And he wept because he knew what was coming on, on, on the other side. Um, so mercy, in my view, mercy encountered in, in judgment. So mercy came, he showed up, he encountered in, in judgment. But guess what? He triumphed over judgment on the, on the following Sunday. 
Easter is the cornerstone of our faith, the resurrection, the foundation upon which it stands. Let's recognize that mercy came in, did the hard work, and, and triumphed over judgment. Lastly, um, I know I said lastly before. This is, this is the truth. <laughs> I came across a, a, a phrase, burn the ships. I love it. I love the story behind it real, real quick. Burn the ships was from an idea that originated in 1519. Uh, Hernan Cortes um, set sail to Veracruz, Mexico and, uh, with, with his crew. Upon arrival, his men became weary and scared um, with the hopes of turning uh, back home to, to their old life. They'd heard that there are giants in the land that they didn't want to fight. As legend has it, Cortes had the men burn their ships, leaving no option but to press on. Their ability to retreat to their previous way of life was gone. Their safety net had been removed. The burning of those ships represented much more than a separation from old, old ways. The same fire that set the ships ablaze also allowed Cortez's men to complete their mission and be part of something greater than themselves. Retreat was not an option and is not an option for us. In the best Russell Crowe accent, I wish I could tell you, burn the ships. It's probably not close because that was kind of Scottish. Anyway, Australian. Uh, Jesus re replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back and who looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Let's look forward. Let's burn the ships. Let's understand mercy, what it did for us, and revel in his grace as he lavishes us. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you um, for the great work that you did on the cross. We thank you that um, when we believe, when we understand it, God, and we understand our role, our, our own uh, dead self, we are put in the proper posture and perspective um, against your goodness. And, and Lord, we thank you, God, that, uh, that you did lavish us and you do lavish us with, with grace, God. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. And uh, God, as we, as we go forth, um, may we never look back. May, be all, may, be, may we uh, no, have no re regrets about the past, Lord. You are the God of the future, God of the present and the future. Help us, God, to go boldly forward. Uh, to be able to serve you and, and your kingdom. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.